are in the mood for fantasy football with your week six injury report. We are Pro Football Network. I'm your host, BJ Rudell. With me, as always, is Tommy Garrett. You can reach me on Twitter at BJ Rudell. You can reach Tommy at Tommy Garrett PFN. Uh, we're going to walk through uh, the injuries from Sunday's games. Fortunately, not a ton. Unfortunately, if you dealt with some of these injuries, you are feeling it today. Not as much as the players, but you're feeling it. We're going to try to help you make sense of it leading up to week seven, as well as uh, that uh, Thursday night game in particular that we will get right into. Tommy, uh, first of all, how'd you do yesterday or, or, or do you not want to talk about it? It was kind of mixed. Um, I think we kind of talked about this last week. I felt like it was going to be one of those odd weeks, and it very much was in the beginning. Uh, if you just look the first part of the game, it was, you know, Chris Herndon, Le'Veon Bell, um, Latavius Murray, just the guys that scored. It was nothing but backup running backs, and I think that kind of set the tone for the rest Chris, of, the, of the day. Chris Evans. Right? Yeah, Chris Evans scored yeah. there. I mean, Khalil Herbert, Darrell Williams. It was just a lot of, I think you either had a great day or it was just mediocre across the board. I think a lot of guys are going to get wins in the very low 100s based on your scoring format. So I don't I don't think it's a week where a lot of people are going to take a lot out of it. If you survived it, then great, especially with some of the injuries that we were coming into with the week. A lot of guys, it was a very questionable week, for lack of a better word, because a lot of guys, that was their injuries as coming into the game. Uh, luckily, we're not adding too many guys to that list right now. Um, but it, to me, it was just a very up and down week. There's not a lot in terms of, I think, where your fantasy team is that you're probably going to take away from it, unless you pulled off a, another loss where, at that point, look, you've got to start making some moves. And I know you pulled off one, and it turned out pretty well for you, didn't it? Thank you for that. Was a very nice uh, uh, lead in to my uh, joy that I feel. Uh, I beat Chris Williams, who uh, I've known uh, through uh, online as a, as a member of my fantasy community for about eight years. And uh, beat him on the last play of the Dallas game. I had C.D. Lamb. I was down two points. And if they had kicked a field goal, I would have lost. Uh, but they went for the touchdown, and I won. And I yelled down to my wife. I said, I'm happy now. I won. Because I, I literally, I was, I was winning earlier in the evening, and I was very joyful with my kids, and I was listening to them. I was engaged. And then I saw that I was down because Cortland Sutton, who my opponent had, scored a touchdown. And then I'm getting a little bit more annoyed and I'm trying to keep a brave face for my kids. But it masked a deep, deep discontent with how the week And to think we do this to ourselves willingly. That's the best part. Yes. And this idea, and I told my wife later, I'm like, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but I am impacted emotionally by whether I win or lose. And, and I said, but don't worry, it's not my life. And she's like, well, it, it kind of is now. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Yes, it kind of is. So uh, so anyway, thank you for asking that. I traded for CD Lamb Saturday night, and it just goes to show if you target the right player and you take a risk, sometimes it works out. Uh, let's get into the Browns, which uh, a couple weeks ago looked like they could uh, compete for a Super Bowl. And now uh, it's a little bit of a mess. We've got Baker Mayfield, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb out. And uh, even Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, uh, just getting nicked up, leaving the game, coming back. What's your takeaway of of the state of the Browns if people have any of these Cleveland players on their roster? It's like the Browns are now the new Giants uh, because yeah. the Giants spent all last week and the past couple weeks being banged up, and now it's transitioned over to the, the Cleveland Browns. The only difference is this is a team we actually expected to be a good football team. Right. Uh, so it's a little more impactful. 
Um, Baker has been playing with that left shoulder injury, which he did seem to re-aggravate uh, during the game. But he came back and he gutted out and played, and I'm sure he filmed another commercial in the uh, in the post-game aftermath. So I think he'll be okay. Uh, I think the bigger concern is going to be when it comes down to the running back because this is a team that is predicated on running the ball with Kevin Stefanski. That's what he wants to do, and it's what they've been so good at when you've got arguably the best running back duo in the NFL with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Chubb obviously was rolled out for this game, and then Kareem Hunt left uh, dealing with a calf injury. It's a short week, and that's the thing that's going to be the biggest issue here is they play on Thursday night. Um, for these guys, it's they're going to be touch and go. I would think we might end up seeing Nick Chubb back because he's had this week off, and they, they didn't do what a lot of the other teams do. They let a guy kind of practice, and then if he's questionable, eh, we can go ahead and suit him up, and then he gets re-aggravated. He re-aggravates his injury, and he's out. Like, just take the take the responsibility of the team and do the right thing for the player. Leave them on the bench. Give them an extra week to recover instead of pulling them out there, letting him get injured further, and you lose them for an additional two to three weeks. I mean, throw Chris McCaffrey out there for an example. Uh, it's one of those ones that was completely avoidable. Um, but Dalvin Cook. Them, I think, the Vikings yeah, Dalvin Cook. With Dalvin exactly. Cook. Weeks one through three every year, they should just sit yep. him. Start uh, Mike Williams, we're, we're probably going to touch on that, but you know, he's got a bye week next week. They bring him back out. He gets hurt. You could have given him an extra week off. He could have basically given him two weeks rest. And you came out there and played him. Why? Right. Curtis Samuel, Kadarius Tony. I mean, I can, I can go down the list on a tirade about this, but it is what it is. Um, well, I think yeah. the, the tirade yeah. is what people are feeling right now. I think people are really exactly. ticked off that, that they've got players who, and you know, again, we're in the fantasy world, they're in the real world, but I think there's an overlap here. If you're playing the long game in the NFL, you don't want to risk re-injuring a player in an 18-week, 17-game season. Yeah. You, you have to think about what's going to be best for my players and my team. If we can just get through this week, but we rest our, our big guy, mm-hmm. isn't that better than risking a multi-week injury by rushing him back too quickly? It also brings up to me what I think is one of the more troubling sides of fantasy, and that is the disconnect between the human and the statistics that you see on your fantasy team. Like when we see an injury happen or if someone comes in as questionable, like, well, I, I need them to play in my fantasy lineup. And because of the closer connections that we have and why people are more accessible than ever through social media, it's very easy to then all of a sudden go out there and find that player's uh, handle on Instagram or IG or whatever or on Twitter. Yeah. And you can you can go out there and you can find that player and give them your instant feedback because believe it or not, they probably don't actually care. And I think that's the issue is that we lose this, the human connection, the human element of these guys, like an injury, like this is another human being that is injured, who is trying to perform their job. Plain and simple. They're more than just that number in your score column decides whether or not you win or lose. And so it's when we talk about these injuries and their fantasy impact, there's the, the broader, more overreaching topic of what's going on with these players lives. And I think that's what gets lost sometimes in translations. Like we talk about like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt right now and the and Cleveland Browns and with their fancy impact, but the impact that they have on their, their careers could be even more overarching depending on the, the interest these guys have. That's right. And and we've all seen these tweets where people will, will tweet to the players and say, Hey, yeah. are you playing today? Like yeah. you're a, you're not going to get a response B um, you'll, you'll find out. And if they're not be playing, better. there's probably It'll a very good better. reason why they're not playing. Um, yeah. So uh, very good points, Tommy. And, uh, you know, the Browns are left now with the with the possibility of Chubb yeah. coming back. 
They're left with maybe a possibility of Demetric Fe uh, uh, Felton and uh, and Dernis Johnson uh, jumping in and and being a tag team. Uh, is there any chance that this becomes a pass heavy team on Thursday night if Chubb doesn't go? It could, but who are they going to target? Because you've got Jarvis Landry, who's kind of coming back or whatever, dealing with his MCL injury. Who I don't think he's back. He's not full strength. Like He's not going to be there right. for a little bit of time. And then you've got Odo Beckham Jr., although he played. Clearly, he was dealing with a shoulder injury from when he got tackled and had two defenders come down on top of him. What I thought was interesting was that it was actually the opposite shoulder that he had had injuries that he had been dealing with separation issue. So it's it's not like the same issue where it's he's separated and it's going to be more likely to happen again. This is now a different shoulder injury uh, he's now dealing with. It's good that he played. Uh, it's do the Cleveland Browns change their philosophy? I, I think you've got to look at it That's based right. off the who you have on the field. If they have Hunt at least, I'm sorry. If they have Nick Chubb, I think they can still stick to their same identity because he's a guy who can handle a very high volume. Assuming that this week off did can, did get him back to his closest full health as an NFL player could be heading into into Week Seven. Um, otherwise, like I said, yeah, you will be targeting those receivers a lot more um, with an Odo, uh, uh, Donald Peoples Jones, who will be a very hot commodity probably on waiver wires or Sean Higgins tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, uh, David Njoku, but it's it's not a good matchup either. If we're being honest, the Denver Broncos are a very difficult defense they're one of the best teams in the nfl in terms of uh fancy points against quarterbacks receivers and running backs they have a great secondary a solid front line and they can control the pace just like the cleveland browns can with their two they're a duo of running backs and a couple solid receivers so it's it's right. going to be a very difficult matchup it's it's hard to change your identity in the nfl and to do it on a very short notice when you're dealing with multiple injuries that makes it an even harder job for kevin stefanski and if they lose that game Thursday, they're in trouble. Uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah. seven. I think they'll be three and four. That's, that's they will. Um, that is not what this team expected to be. Now, right now they're tied with the team. Pittsburgh Steelers. I think in the division, yeah. both teams are sitting at three and three. Steel, and the, Browns, the Steelers getting a surprising win. Yeah. yeah, Browns are a better team up and down, but they're you know the injuries are, are an equalizer. Um, exactly. Antonio Gibson. Big disappointment for those. I, I I thought he would be okay. I figured he played through at week five. He can play through at week six, but he exits early. J.D. McKissick shines. Uh, I loved McKissick. We talked about him on uh, on Friday on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Gibson, what do people make of it? Do you think this is a case where Washington season and the way it is, are they going to be very careful with Gibson? Do you think yeah. that you think he might sit? What what would be your recommendation to fantasy managers who have Gibson? counting on him is this a sell now and try to get somebody else or is gibson too good to just give up on it's very difficult to sell a player dealing with an injury um because you are already losing a sizable percentage of their possible return on investment at that point gibson is extremely talented and we've also we've seen him getting more and more work in the passing game although like we saw with jd mckissick he got some work but that's also because they lacked other I lacked other targets. McLaurin came and kind of banged up. You've got um, Diami Brown was your arguably your number two receiver in that game. Ricky Seals Jones is filling in for Logan Thomas, who's on the IR. Um, and then you have Curtis Samuel on the IR as well. So it's more like they're just trying to piece and patch this offense together. Um, he thought he was going to be able to play through the paint. He said it didn't hurt too much. Um, in the post-game press conference, Ron Rivera came out and said, we'll see how he is. Uh, we did take him out at the end of the game because he was struggling a little bit, so we'll have to be careful with how he responds. And he went on to say that I don't know much more than that. We'll see Monday morning, which is obviously when we're recording this. Um, shins are a interesting thing. Like I said, he's dealing with a stress fracture. That's 
probably going to be a little painful, and clearly it was. That's why they pulled him out in this game after only 10 carries. Uh, it's likely going to see his touches reduce even further. I can see Jared Patterson getting a little more work in this game uh, moving forward until he gets uh, back to full strength. If, he, if he's back out there, you're looking at a solid you know, low-end RB1, high-end RB2, which is a very hard thing to find in the NFL uh, and in fantasy football. So I wouldn't be quick to sell him quite just yet, um, like I said, because I don't think you would get as much in return just given his injuries right now. Yeah, I can see that. I'm going to say with Gibson, one of the interesting things that jumped out at me is that his yards per carry is down from 4.7 to 4.0 this year. Mm. The defense that was supposed to keep this team in games, yes. deep into the game, has failed them. So the whole, uh, uh, and and someone should look this up. Anyone listening to this, look it up and message us, or maybe after the show, uh, I'll look it up just so I have the information. But I'd like to know what Antonio Gibson's touches have been in the second half versus the first half whether um, it's they've declined precipitously because the games are a little more, you know, if, if they're on the losing end, um, that doesn't bode well generally for running backs in the second half of games. Um, you know, Washington is, is two and four. Um, they've given up 186 points on the season, which is one of the most, if not the most in the league. Uh, it's definitely the most in the NFC. So this is a really tough situation when you have a bell cow running back on a team whose defense is failing and he's hurt. I'm going to, I'm going to push a little bit back on Tommy and say Mm -hmm. that maybe there's someone out there who sees Antonio Gibson for what he was last year. Yeah. And you could say, give me, you know, give me a a RB one value for him. And, And maybe Tommy agrees on this, but if you can get good value for Antonio Gibson, I'm not so sure when he comes back, if this team doesn't turn things around, that they're going to be running him into the ground, that they're going to be utilizing him. Like Tommy said, you could see Jared Patterson more. You're definitely going to see McKissick, who I think was a top 20, top 25 fantasy running back last year. Mm -hmm. There is this risk with Gibson that he's going to be phased out later in games because that is not the mode they're going to be in. And they already have a good pass catcher in McKissick. Gibson's averaging maybe two, maybe two and a half catches a game. That's good, but he's a little more TD dependent than you want someone like that to be, especially playing from behind. And I think that's, that's a solid caveat you bring up is it all comes down to what someone else is willing to pay in your league. If you always should target whatever the possible return is like, if someone's high on a player, go after them. Like without question, it's just, it's all dependent. It's always going to be dependent on your league. And like you were asking, asking about the first and second half performances, um, in the first half, he has seen 48 touches for 178 yards, averaging 3.7 yards per carry in the first half. In the second half, uh, 41 for 179. If you go by quarters, uh, 24 rushes in the first half, 24 in the, in, sorry, in the first quarter, 24 in the second quarter, 26 in the third, but only 15 rushes in the uh, fourth quarter. So like you're saying, when they're getting down in games, his touches at that point are also dropping. So he's averaging about two and a half uh, uh, in the fourth quarter. And yes, that's uh, that's tough if they're down two touchdowns or something like that. They just don't need the running game. They need to air it out. Um, thanks for looking that up, Tommy. That's yep. uh, and he's so actually better. right now. He has zero receptions in the fourth quarter. That's that an interesting one. That is that's an interesting one. Somebody tweet that out. Um, yep. OK, uh, one target in the fourth quarter of games this year. Wow. So, you know, credit McKissick. Uh, this is the value that McKissick brings, but unfortunately, it's it's the damage that McKissick brings for fantasy managers who have Gibson. Um, yeah, he led the league last year and and targets at the at the uh, running back position. 
And to segue to the Colts, that's one of the big reasons Jonathan Taylor has been shining is that Hines has not been the dominant pass catcher that we've seen before. Yep. So Taylor is now the guy that you utilize in the fourth quarter. Even if they're down, they're not going to Hines as much as they did in the past. And you can see just the change from Taylor being, you know, a top 10 to 16 running back to being an elite running back just with that fourth quarter usage. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of the Colts, T.Y. Hilton, to a lesser extent, Paris Campbell. T.Y. Hilton returns. He gets the most targets on the team. Michael Pittman fades a little bit. Um, target difference wasn't huge. I think it was four for Hilton, three or four receptions to three for, yes. you know, Hilton to Pittman. But what do we make? Hilton gets hurt again. Um, is this a case where people just, is, is this, I hate to say it, but are we at that point right now where people need to just stay with Michael Pittman because in the long term, he's the safer play? Or is Hilton the guy who we believe still has a chance to be the number one on this team when healthy? I don't think Hilton will ever be the number one again. But a number two, he's got the chance. Um, this is a team that doesn't necessarily have a number two option um, in this game. Like I said, he caught all four targets for 80 yards. Dealing with a quad injury, I think part of it is just a first game back kind of thing for a mm -hmm. veteran who's been off the field for a long time. Soft tissues injury can't happen, especially if he was rushing to get back onto the field uh, after being on the IR for quite a bit of time dealing with neck surgery. Um, he'll be back eventually. If you, if you have enough depth, if you're in a deeper, a deep enough league, I could see picking up T.Y. Hilton on this offense because Carson Wentz is actually starting to play a little bit better football. Yeah. Um, it helps when you have, you're not dealing with two sprained ankles and you didn't have Aaron Donald chasing you down and still wanting to steal your lunch money. Um, but I mean, if he's going to be playing better, you're going to look at T.Y. Hilton. It did help that he was going against the team he has historically always had his best games against. Uh, three of his five best games ever had came against the Houston Texans. So it was almost a little poetic. Um, when he comes back, I think he could be a, uh, like wider, like lower and wide receiver four to a to a lower and flex play. So in other um, words, he a, doesn't, a good bye week replacement. Yeah, exactly. He's a bye week replacement, and if what we're coming up into is going to be awful in terms of bye weeks time, like he's going to be worthwhile probably having in your roster to a certain extent. He doesn't have a lot of upside, uh, but if you're just needing a little a little stopgap, a little duct tape on your roster, Tilton could do the job. By the way, quick side note before we jump to our last two players. Bye weeks. We could do a whole segment on this, and maybe Tommy and I will. Is it better to bleed with a thousand cuts and have one player on bye each week for seven, eight weeks, or is it better to just bomb one week? And just then, in terms of roster construction. Yeah, and I'm yeah. going through that right now. When I traded for CD Lamb, the guy I'm who I traded with, I'm playing against him next week, this coming week, when CD Lamb is on a bye. The mm -hmm. reason I was able to pull the deal is I convinced him that he was going to have an advantage facing me the next week. Yeah. But now I'm trying to trade CD lamb to push that by later so that I can get someone who I can play against him. So I'm trying to, you know, it's like, I'm trying to delay yeah. my bye weeks until week 13. And then hopefully all my guys will just be out that week. Well, then but at that point you should know whether or not you're going to make the playoffs. I think that's, that's a right. very interesting concept because when you first start getting into fantasy, and you're printing off your cheat sheets and you're going to your your buddy's draft, you're going to Buffalo Wild Wings, wherever you got wherever you went to go do your draft, like you would look at the bye weeks, right? And you would, okay, well, I drafted this guy. He has a week seven bye week. I can't draft this guy because he does. Yeah. I got to the point for me where it's like, I'm not going to throw away 15 other games and possible chances of production based off a single week. That's right. So I stopped caring so much about bye weeks. But when all of a sudden when you've got half your lineup that's now hurt. 
you're kind of feeling you're kind of regretting some of those decisions. Like yeah. I think it's a very interesting philosophy. I think it's one that probably does deserve a little more, a little more thought and a little more conversation. I think that I, I'm a big fan now of pushing the the bye weeks off as late as possible because you you know yeah. if you burn if you have a guy on a bye week in week in uh, you know week six and then you end up trading him in week eight what now you what have you got for it you've you've mm-hmm. lost him for a week and you've traded him away yeah. so you know you might as well delay it as long as possible and see if you can work the system but uh, anyway thanks for that digression two more. Uh, three more: Kadarius Tony, Mike Williams, Michael Thomas. Speed round, Tommy. Uh, Kadarius Tony. I'll give Tommy props here. He warned two weeks ago about Curtis Samuel being risky because he could just come right back from an injury too soon, like you talked about at the beginning of this podcast. And then where does that leave you? And that's what happened. Kadarius Tony playing hurt, didn't look good in pregame warmups. We talked about mm-hmm. it at Twitter Spaces event that we did through Pro Football Network Sunday morning at eleven. And then what happens? Tony gets three catches, and then that's it for the day. Is, is has Tony's time passed when everyone gets healthy, or do you still believe that a healthy Tony can carve out a, a regular fantasy value on this team? I think it all depends on what your expectations are as a fantasy manager. Um, if your expectations are one eighty nine, you know, and thirteen targets, then yes, that time is absolutely passed. That was a that was a fleeting moment in history just based off the circumstances around him because the Giants literally had no one else in the wide receiver room. Uh with where he's at now, like I think he can still be like the wide receiver three on this team. Like in my eyes, I think it's gonna go like Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard battling for the one and two. Sterling Shepard in a lot of cases probably has that, you know, role. Um this is all saying obviously if everyone is healthy because they're not right now. Um I think even when Darius Slayton comes back, more than like I think Kadarius Tony has shown enough to where he should be more probably heavily involved than Darius Slayton. I mean, you also don't spend the 20th overall draft pick on a guy not to use him, and especially after you kind of seen what he's done. Um, he's just got to be healthy. And it was like we talked about earlier with some of these players and bringing him back when they probably shouldn't be. Like, he probably shouldn't have played this week. Like, the reports were coming out before the game that, hey, yeah. he does not look good in warm-ups. He was always, bother- he was always messing with his ankle after running a route. And like right. you said, after three targets, he ends up leaving the game. Uh, it's an unfortunate situation. Uh, it's hopefully it didn't impact his his um availability moving forward uh it didn't extend his time frame but i don't think it did him any good um it's kind of the same situation with mike williams i mean you asked me during the the twitter space thing too about mike williams and i was like i this smells like a decoy and i kind of brought up the same situation as what the uh los angeles chargers did last year with uh keenan allen it was like week 13 week 14 he came into the game injured game time decision they finally let him play he ends up playing on 36 percent of the snaps only sees a couple targets what happens in this one mike williams ends up going up for a a catch almost has a near touchdown on in fair credit to him um but he ends up only playing on 20 of 58 snaps doesn't play in the fourth quarter uh he saw just five targets had two catches for 27 yards uh it's the kind of the same thing like this was likely never going to be a big mike williams game if he got you that touchdown it would have been great it would have salvaged his day but there was just too much too much risk for me uh, going into that game. So it's hopefully this bye week he has coming up will give him time to get get, uh, get healthy because he's in the middle of a career year. And in a lot of formats, he was one of those top three uh, receivers in fantasy football. So it'll be good to kind of see him get back in, uh, in week eight. And then finally, Michael Thomas. He's eligible to return from the pup list. He is probably one of the most interesting yes. NFL players that I have um, – thought about over the last six years, like someone who was on pace to be one of the greatest receivers ever. 
Uh, mm-hmm. His catch rate, I had looked this up a couple years ago. It was absurd. His catch rate, I think, in 2019 wasn't just the best catch rate ever for a wide receiver at X number of you know targets. It was like 10% better than any other wide receiver had ever had. And he um, did it in like 185 targets or something, yeah. which is just absurd. It was just a and and you know, you think about what has to happen for that level. I think it was like an 84% catch rate, whatever it was. It was just most receivers don't have more than 65. Like it was some, actually even higher. Uh, in the in the year beforehand, he had 85, and then in 2019, it was an 80.5 percent reception rate on 185 targets for 1,700 yards. And I challenge anyone listening to this to find anyone up to that point, 2019, who had higher than 75 percent. Um, yeah. And there might have been only a few, maybe three or four, who had higher than 70 percent. It's very unusual for a wide receiver in the NFL. To, to crack 65%. Like that's a real, that's a very good catch rate. So what Michael Thomas did was incredible. Great. Michael Thomas has been, he's only what, 28 years old, but there's also a lot of yellow flags. So Tommy, can mm-hmm. you help managers understand if he returns, what do you think is a realistic expectation for Thomas? Those first two to three weeks coming back uh, into this offense. A realistic expectation is wide receiver three kind of level wow. production. Wow. And I think that might be at the high end. Um, wow. What I'm concerned about comes down to the quarterback play. Um, even if Michael Thomas is healthy, what's he going to be? How is he going to be utilized in this offense? Because his skill sets matched perfectly with Drew Brees working in those short to intermediate routes where he could get peppered by targets and high percentage, high volume and high leverage opportunities. He's now getting um, Jameis Winston, who loves to chuck the ball up. Like even in his, it was what was it, the 2019 season, where he went the where he was the hit the uh, 30 yeah. 30 number. Yeah, he was letting his receivers <laughs> make those plays for him because he would just throw the ball up and hope. That's why you saw with the touchdown to Marquez Callaway, a couple of his uh, the touch some of the touchdowns to Juwan Johnson, the touchdown uh, last week to Deontay Harris. Yeah. That was a one touchdown, but it was on a 72 yard touchdown yeah. play. So I think it's Michael Thomas and Jameis Winston's skill sets don't necessarily mesh. He's um, not doing eight-minute drives downfield. Exactly. This now, like, could, Michael Thomas has the skill set to be a wide receiver one, without question. He has a skill set to be one of the best receivers in the NFL because we have the historical record of him doing it. Um, it's just what's he going to do in this brand-new New Orleans offense because this is not the same team that he left. All right, here's a prediction. Michael Thomas will go to Tampa Bay next year. And uh he will someone oh will leave. God. One of the one of the big three will leave. Yeah, uh, it would Thomas probably will be come in. I mean it'd Thomas, be Chris Godwin, wouldn't because he's on a they I, uh, franchise tagged him again. Yeah. So it's it, it, keep a lookout because Michael Thomas, can you imagine Tom Brady throwing to Michael Thomas? Mike what, Evans, what? Michael Thomas, and Antonio Brown together. Yeah. Oh. If, okay. if we didn't think it was bad enough or good enough, in fairness to the 12 of you who might be Bucks fans, it could it could get even, yeah. So I'll anyway. be honest, I want to see it. <laughs> I want to see that. That's just a Madden. That's, that's one of those things you do. Like you go into Madden and you switch players around. You do the created yeah. the created team. That's yeah, one of those things you do in that game. So yeah. I would I would enjoy seeing that. I don't know if they would have the uh, the money and the salary cap to do it, but. I hope we see it happen just for I, just for the fun. 
Good. Well, uh, let's, uh, uh, we'll have fun with the, uh, uh, the fantasy of fantasy. And um, thank you again, Tommy Garrett, for being with me today. Again, it's BJ Rudell, Pro Football Network. This is In The Mood Podcast. Please find us on Twitter. Uh, ask us any questions you have. We will try to answer them. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow, Tuesday, to talk about waiver ads. We'll see you.